Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my witching co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a witch who's <laughs> not going to be taken in by that cult, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I know what you're saying. <laughs> mm, I hear that. Yeah. But I'm not going to fall prey to any earworms either. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm not a sense. fan. Ugh, nah. Yuck. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm Jack Olander. Uh, a fever dream illusion of a person. Not someone important from your past. I'm just passing through, as it were. Don't let me interrupt your vision quest. <laughs> oh, my mother came back to me in visions. And then there was just this guy there. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. This seems really intimate. <laughs> I'll just see myself out. <laughs> I was just passing through. This was a convenient pathway from one place to another. Is it a supersonic highway or a yeah. subsonic highway? What do they call it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. The thing from Scott Pilgrim. I was just trying to get to the convenience store. Subspace Highway. Yeah. I don't know how I wound up in your subconscious. <laughs> I love that. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> We've all been there, man. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, guys, we have made it to the final episode of our first satire TV mini episode mini series yeah <laughs> say that, that made, five times fast if that made any sense i forgot even all the words you just used <laughs> <laughs> so we have been covering every other week as our little mini episodes to our usual movie episodes we have been talking about netflix the witcher and this week we are going to be talking about the last episode of season one much more that's the name of the episode and there's much more to come in this episode and also in The Witcher because season two just finished wrapping. Yeah. Or just wrapped. Just finished shooting, is yeah. what I meant to say. They're going to go into pre, or I mean, post production and all that. Yeah. So we're really excited uh, because we have enjoyed talking about the show and yeah. we've been looking forward to getting to kind of share our thoughts about the culmination of. This season, so why don't we just jump right into it with a quick summary from the episode, The Witcher Season 1, Episode 8, Much More. Okay, guys, so in Geralt's timeline slash scenes in this episode... He is leaving Sintra after being imprisoned and after watching Nilfgaard storm the city, kill King Calanthe, and he believes that they have killed Princess Cirilla, his child surprise, who he was destined to take care of. So Geralt's not feeling super good. He leaves through the dark and spooky forest that, I mean, is basically everywhere throughout the Witcher world. There's always anywhere you go. You can't like throw a stone without hitting a dark and spooky forest in this setting. And he comes across Yurga, a man who he believes is 
robbing corpses of people who were killed in the Battle of Sintra. But Yurga says, I'm not robbing these people. If I was robbing them, I'd be taking their goods. They he- weren't killed in the battle. They were refugees that were slaughtered by passing Nilfgaardian troops. Well, that's so much worse. It is. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. And it sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about. It does, yeah. So I, I'm sorry. Uh, Yurga is tending to the bodies of these refugees. Geralt ac- accuses him of being a grave robber, of being a ghoul, as it were. Somebody who steals items from the dead. Yurga says that's not what he's doing. He's actually, like, trying to bury them or honor them. But then, maybe fittingly, some actual undead ghouls pop out of the forest, attack Geralt. Oh, no. He saves... (laughs) He saves Yurga, but in the midst of this battle, gets a real fucking nasty bite on his thigh. Ew. And that's assumed to be something of a death sentence. So Yurga, somebody who clearly has great reverence for for life, loads up Geralt on his cart and says, "Hey, you saved my life. I owe you. I got to like try to take care of you." They're going through the woods. Geralt's having these fever dreams. He's remembering his childhood. He's remembering his mother. He quaffs a healing potion and starts having these illusory dreams where Renfri and Yennefer and his mom come to him and talk to him. His mom says uh, in one of these visions, people linked by destiny will always find each other. And at the near the very end of the episode, Geralt and Yurga roll up on a house that is Yurga's house. And Yurga's wife uh, comes out to meet them, says that there was a young girl here. Geralt instantly puts the pieces together, heads out into the forest. But here's where this story intermerges with the story of another character. Yeah, so, um, surprise, surprise, Siri doesn't do much in this episode. Ouch. Um, in <laughs> fact, she only has two or three lines in the whole episode that I can remember. She mostly has despondent and hopeful looks interchanging. Well, she is a teenager. (laughs) No. So she wakes up in the field where she just yeeted all those guys that were attacking her in the last episode. She is found by this woman that she had stolen the horse from. And this woman finds her along the side of the road. I guess Siri didn't get too far away from her and they were going in the same direction anyway. The woman's horse is no more. I won't describe it for those with sensitive uh, ears. It is an X horse. X horse. Something bad. That horse is no more. Uh, I guess all of the men are X men too. Not X men, (laughs) but you know. Very different movie. And (laughs) this show has Superman, not Wolverine, okay? Yeah. Horsio Um, Remova. So the woman convinces Siri to come back to her farm. It's not safe out there. She wants to take care of her. Boy, this woman has a really good heart to take care of the girl who stole her horse. I wonder if she has an equally thoughtful and caring spouse. You never know. And that lazy piece of shit, son. Uh, I mean... (laughs) Um, The woman asks Siri what happened. Siri just kind of says... 
uh, they were trying to come after me, and the woman says, well, they got what they deserved. Yeah. I was like, wow, she's yeah. looking around at this fucking slaughter. She's a boosher, <laughs> both in kindness and unforgivingness. Yeah. Um, they make it back to her farm. She has a son that's around Siri's age. He's cleaning off the horse, wiping him down, and giving Siri a hard time. Siri's just kind of staring him down the whole time and giving him quizzical glances. And doesn't respond to anything that's said to her. It's kind of puzzling. He's just some. I mean, she is going through what I would say is one of the most traumatic events of her life. Sure. I guess she's reached her breaking point. She's kind of like wondering if she's the real monster here because she just slaughtered a bunch of dudes. And she doesn't really want to talk about it. Um, she has a dream about, about Geralt looking for Yennefer and... Another woman we know as a viewer, it's Tissaia looking for Yennefer as well. Uh, but Siri doesn't know either of them. But she seems to kind of instinctively know that that might be Geralt in her dream, even though they've never met. And in the morning, she sees this as like an omen. And so she gets up and decides to steal away from the farmhouse. She doesn't want to make that her life, even though... The woman said she'd be willing to take her in as a daughter. She just fucking bounces uh, without saying anything to anybody. Makes her way into the woods because she thinks that's where Geralt is. And then that's when we see Geralt run into the woods right after her. Because here's the thing. The woman that took in Ciri was the wife of Yurga, the man who took in Geralt. What a twist. And Geralt... Walks into the woods, goes back and forth, hems and haws. It's like, maybe I'll look around, maybe I won't. He keeps going back and forth. And then he finally turns around one more time and sees a young Siri running towards him. And they pause for a moment looking at each other. And then they just know. And Siri runs into his arms and hugs him in a very gratifying moment. I love that they hug each other. It's the hug that has been really built up over the whole season. It's yeah. so good. So it, good. It, it pays off. And then she asks Geralt, who is Yennefer? And he looks at her like, whoa, how did you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll tell you who Yennefer is. She's someone who doesn't get a hug at the end of this episode. <laughs> but she has, however, been on an existential journey her entire life. She's been here, she's been there, she's been looking for answers, she's been looking for something to fulfill her. She's been looking for dick. It's true. <laughs> Where does she find herself? On a battlefield, right? It represents the internal struggle. And also the external struggle. <laughs> it's true. She's out there with Tessaia, her mother figure, definitely not romantic interest, am I right? <laughs> but, uh... I mean, we'll, let's refer to the fan fiction, and everybody's fucking everyone, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, she sort of has to start grappling with the idea that you gotta take a stand for something to find meaning in life, right? That idea of purpose and community. And, uh, after seeing... All of the people who she's ever been close to start getting cut down. She decides to take a stand once and for all. Well, they're taking and a stand against Nilfgaard, who's finally made their way to Sodden Hill. Ah, yes. Yes, exactly right. And Yennefer 
finally decides to fight for something other than, you know, fertility. Yeah, her own selfish pursuits. Or, or the right to ensorcel people into a crazy orgy uh, sex show. Yeah. It's true. Or boner magic. It's true. She displays very strong magical ability in this episode. Yeah. But uh, the strongest of them is her explosive moment of, uh, you know, defiance against the whole world, but mostly Nilfgaard. <laughs> As she explodes them with fire and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe her herself and maybe herself and just maybe i should have just said explodes it's <laughs> unclear <laughs> we're left we're left questioning <laughs> would have been pretty good if she went up on the rock and just was like oh fuck and just blew up <laughs> anyway yeah there it is yeah j- just to clarify a bit so Yennefer and the mages of the Brotherhood are trying to hold kind of the last line of defense against Nilfgaard. Um, it's true. It's the only uh, pathway is through this Sodden Hill elven ruin fortress to get to the Northern Kingdoms. Uh, yeah, and so 22 mages stand off against the Nilfgaardian army who has just devastated Sintra. And, uh, you know, things... Things are pretty fucked up. Yeah. But that's the episode, uh, in case you had forgotten what happened. Now, why don't we get into our discussion about the themes, scenes, and lore for much more. Okay, guys, so this episode is... Chock a block full of <laughs> amazing end of season content, right? Like yeah. we've got a giant war. We've got. I thought you were going to say a giant wolf, and I was like, I did not watch the same episode you did. <laughs> a giant womb, but not for Yennefer. We. <laughs> oh damn! Damn. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We've got a huge battle. <laughs> We've got Geralt fighting the undead. We've got Siri being a teenager. Geralt actually doesn't do a whole lot this episode. But Yeah, he's having a fever dream like Jack said. He's on a vision quest. That was pretty good. But I mean, you know, yeah. he's also killed so much up to this point. Like, he gets the night off, right? Yeah, and we get to learn more about his backstory, which is cool. We get to find out he was once a child. We didn't know that. And we Hard find out that he wanted to be a hero, a true white knight, and save people. And it makes you kind of reevaluate his entire <laughs> character and all the actions he's taken throughout the whole show. He's also got a little bit of bitterness, it seems, because he found out like later on during his Witcher training that only three in ten boys who trained to become witchers survive and he's like did you know that mom when you sent me there mom yeah because he's still um a little emotionally damaged <laughs> yeah traumatized he's still a little traumatized about being abandoned by his mother at Kaer Morin. yeah it's true if it weren't for all the trauma he could have been a real uh sir ike 
You know what? I think we're better off with the Geralt that we got. Yeah. Whatever happened to that, sir? Oh, no. Uh, he no. got killed while taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Geralt's kicking it. He's yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Geralt still has this little thing called compassion. Yes. It's hard to kill him, you know? It's hard yeah. to kill a witcher. He's got what would be a fatal wound on anybody else, and he just pours some homemade potion on it and drinks a little bit of it, and then he's good. Yeah, just throw a little healing potion in there. You'll be fine. Yes. Also, his four times slower heartbeat is to thank. Right. In That's addition. That's right. Yeah, the, the poison and the infection doesn't course through him so quickly, so he has time to stave it off with the healing magics. Now, do you think that since sorcerers and the wizards can project themselves astrally anywhere they want to go that he might have actually been talking to his mom? That's a great question. I didn't think about that. It definitely feels like it is not just like a version of his mother that's a memory from a child because like she has more she seems to have more information, right? Yeah. They do share more information than he would have known. Yeah. So maybe there is, I mean, if not a actual projection, perhaps some kind of like residual magic where she's able to like maybe spiritually connect with him. Maybe. I mean, she's not dead, is she? I don't know. She's a wizard. She has a abnormally never long die. Oh, wait. life. She would still look as young as she did when he was a kid. Yeah. I mean, wizards can die. We see very much in this episode that wizards can die all fucking day. Because I'm pretty sure 14 of them die at the Battle of By Sodom. old age. They don't die by old age. Sure. Um, But he also sees Renfrey. I mean, he might have really been talking to her spirit because in this world, you know, there are ghouls and goblins and monsters of all types and, and spirits and ghosts oh and all and all those other video games that uh, were too hard for me to beat as a kid uh, ghouls goblins uh, yeah ghosts goblins crests of demons but so talking about Geralt and everything the idea of destiny comes up Oh, Destiny. We haven't talked about that in this series yet, have we? <laughs> it comes up in every episode, but <laughs> his mother reminds him that the people, two people who are destined to be together will find each other. And Siri repeats that to him, doesn't she? Or does he repeat that to her? Uh, oh, he repeats that to Siri yeah. later when they meet up. And uh, she is surprised because... That's something that somebody else has told her before. Right. I'm just laughing because this is also in this episode where Yurga says to Geralt, oh, you saved my life. I'll just give you the law of surprise. And Geralt's <laughs> like, no, just give me an ale and we're done with it. <laughs> he's learned from his mistake. Yeah, finally. He's Take tied, my child. He is Take tied by child. destiny. <laughs> he is tied by destiny to two people at this point. He is tied... Both through his own actions, tied to Siri and Yennefer. Yeah. And I love how when they're rolling up to Yurga's house, he's like, Yurga's just like, oh, honey, grab this guy an ale, because, like, you know, you got to pay your debts and shit. It's like, all right, Geralt finally fucking learned his lesson. Right on. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's how you make a Witcher factory, though. You just accept every law of surprise and hope it's a child. No. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. 
That's not a good economic system. That could have been why Geralt's mother had to give him up. We didn't really get to know why she did it. Yeah, maybe that'll be covered in season two. Maybe. Because he was returning back to Kaer Morhen when he finally meets up with Ciri, and it's just a bit further down the road up north past Sodden Hill where the battle is taking place and where the farmstead is nearby. So maybe they're going to be going up there in season two. Uh, spoilers, they are. That's a lot of what season two is going to be about. I would assume so, <laughs> since mm-hmm. he and Ciri have met up and he's going to be training her like they do in the video games. Yeah. I, I kind of assumed. No, yeah, that's absolutely what season two is going to be. I mean, that's just the, the like, I think at this point it's pretty well known that season two is partly about Geralt training Siri as a witcher. And I feel like I've been linked to the people that I'm supposed to be with by Destiny and we found each other, like Jamie and I and Jack. It's a, it's great. I mean, you're linked to Jack mm-hmm. by biology. But. Yeah, but also Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Biological Destiny. But there's something else about destiny where it's like finding your purpose in life, right? Yeah, that seems accurate. Jack, do you have anything to say about that? Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, I partially touched on it in my summary, but it's about Yennefer, right? She's always been rudderless and wombless, and that's pissed her off. Yep. I think the rudderlessness seems to be a direct result of the wombless. Yeah. She got a role as a as a notable court mage, which she didn't like, ended up feeling trapped in that position. She tried to save this baby and mother, trying to find some sort of meaning in that. It ends up falling through. She buries the baby. That's like a metaphorical scene of her realizing that the beauties of youth are like were never available to her and also the the, like idea of this family is not it's not a good idea she couldn't take care of a kid which was her entire goal in life what's wrong falling in love with Geralt yeah what's wrong you don't think she'd make a good mother no (laughs) (laughs) well she's also burying the last bit of her innocence too exactly yes our cat Loki is sneezing (laughs) I dedicate my outrage to Casey Cannon (laughs) (laughs) nice friend of the show casey who is who has joined us for a few of these episodes yep yes but then she tries falling in love with Geralt, but can't be satisfied because she can't trust Geralt. Geralt doesn't even say whether or not she's justified in her distrust of him however she just sort of decided that he betrayed her whether or not it's true, and stormed off. So she kind of burnt that bridge for now, anyway. And Geralt was being his usual taciturn self, and... Mm-hmm. It's and kind of his character trait. This whole journey Yennefer has been on has been a spiral down the funnel back to where it all began. Eratusa and Tissaia, right? right? They find each other, and they they sort of have these interactions where Yennefer is just sort of like taking out her frustration on Tissaia and kind of beating around the bush, you know, trying to disillusion these other kids the way that she has been recently. And they're basically like, we're not going to be fuck-ups like you, Ian. Right. And she, that's a big blow to her self-esteem, which is 
you know, the last thing Yennefer really has, right? I mean, Yen is like over 200 years old, right? So she's like, oh, I have something to teach these young whippersnappers. And the young whippersnappers are like, lol, okay, boomer, fuck off. <laughs> Get Wait. fucked, you decrepit bitch. How old right? did you say she was? Over 200. I don't think so. Is she... she says I've lived several lifetimes at one oh, point shit. in the show. Maybe and I just to say, it's like, yeah, but have you ever been satisfied in one of them? And Yen was like, damn, you really did hit me up with that, though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was probably around 50 or 60. Me too. At this point. But yeah. uh, th there's really no way of being clear. She was born in 1192. And this episode takes place in 12. Okay, 1263. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So she's uh, she's 70. Okay. So she hasn't okay. lived for quite 200. Or maybe, I don't know. She's not as old as I thought she said in the episode. But she's been around a lot of years. And she feels like she has a lot of experience. But sh maybe she's been holding back all these years. It's yeah. true. And one thing she notices when she's at Eratusa talking to Tisea is that she's sort of lived the glamorous lives that she thought she wanted and realized it wasn't what was fulfilling her. Yeah. She goes back to where it all began to say is like, hey, I'm going to go fight for something that's meaningful. Come along with me. I'm basically asking you this as a personal favor. And Yennefer is like, okay, you're basically all I have left, right? I... The world has nothing left for me but, like, you at this point, right? Yeah. She's kind of lost hope and is, like, jaded at this point. They go out to this battlefield, and this is where Yennefer is seeing, like, the lives of actual people through the lens of someone who's been all over, right? And it's really starting to affect her. This is the episode where I feel like Yennefer is starting to see beyond herself she's been so caught up in her own mind every other episode her entire life right uh, and she just has this very thick filter through which she sees the entire world but in this one it seems sort of like she's grounded she's seeing these refugees turn into a local militia when she's talking to a woman who says I raised all my livestock by myself when my husband died and Nilfgaard came and they took it away in an afternoon. An entire, like, you know, lifetime of work, essentially, just yeah. gone like that. So I have to fight, right? And Yennefer's realizing, like, oh, shit, <laughs> right? Like, people actually lead these meaningful lives and she's, like, kind of connecting with the struggles of the locals. And it's at the point where all the people she's known for 60 years start, like, dying in battle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That she finally realizes what she wants to live for, I think. Or, yeah. like, what she wants it all to be about, her life. She found purpose through defending these people from this foreign hostile nation. She is standing up for people who can't because she knows she's powerful. And she's standing up to defend the people, her peers, right? 
Right. Yeah. Purpose and community are what she finds in this episode, and that's really important. She for her shows character. compassion to Sabrina, who is controlled by the earworm weapon. Yeah. When, Fringilla's earworms. Yeah. And when Sabrina uh, becomes like a sleeper agent and tries to kill Yennefer, and then when they're blown off of the tower and like the control is taken off of Sabrina and she kind of is herself again, and she says she's sorry to Yennefer and Yennefer like strokes her face and says like don't worry about it I'm okay and like just like be okay yourself kind of thing yeah we're seeing a way more humanized version of Yennefer in this episode yeah she's really like Jack's saying she starts to feel the connection with her peers that's why I almost want to say that this was Yennefer's coming of age episode it is, yeah. It's just funny considering she's 70 years old, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, but this whole time she's been acting kind of like a teenager. Yeah. She's had arrested development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a lifespan like hers. I mean, teenager might still be accurate. Could I mean, be. she is part elven. Yeah. And she was horribly traumatized as a child. Yeah. It's true. So I, I just thought it was really great seeing her be compassionate toward the people who she's alienated for so long. Uh, you know, standing up for other people just for the sake of doing so. And then taking a stand, uh, you know, real self-esteem. Not like in the other episodes, she said, all I have is myself. Right? And that's why she acted... Very selfishly. Yeah. yeah. In this one, Taseya basically says like, hey, you're strong. You have the power to stop this. Just go for it. And this is, I think, the difference between her like loner mentality and like her true self-confidence, right? Embracing who she is. Well, also in that moment, I just want to highlight that moment. It's really important to what you're yeah. talking about. Taseya is weak and seems like she might be almost close to death. And Yennefer is like begging her not to die and says, you saved me. Yeah. Like, I, I care about you. You, you. you saved me from a, a horrible fate. And yeah. I think she says she's like a mother to her. I can't remember. They imply it. Anyway, she implies. Yeah. yeah, if it's not spoken, then it definitely is like deeply in the subtext. Or not, not, it is very shallowly in the subtext. Right. Like, like We are understanding that she is the mother that Yennefer never had. The parent that Yennefer never had. And 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 they acknowledge it in that moment that you're which is, talking about, Jack. Which is kind of mm -hmm. sad because to say is very abusive towards Yennefer. I know. She still calls her derogatory names like to her face. Throughout their relationship. Yeah. I think she expects Yennefer to stand up for herself and and talk back to her. Maybe. But I personally think there are better ways to instill lessons like that. Yeah. But, yeah. But sure, I mean, to say is not necessarily of the same mind, so. <laughs> You'll understand when you're a youthful 80. It was a different time back then. Yeah, things, yeah. that's just the way things were, right? I was just going to say... There's the final moment of Yennefer in the series, or in the season, where she gets up on a rock, she sees the forces of Nilfgaard coming, 
and she's building up the power for this one final spell that Tessaia has been like, just go crazy, let loose, Yennefer, you've been holding back. Yeah, and when she's building up that power, do you notice that she's actually pulling the fire from the surrounding area into her body? I didn't. That's, that's where it comes from. You can it. They show the flames of the fort where it's been bombed by the Nilfgaardian army, and it shows the flames diminishing as she's pulling the the energy of it into her oh hands. Oh boy! <laughs> yes, and then you hear all the quotes that she's kind of heard throughout the series of like encouragement, discouragement, everything, all the challenges and empowering moments in her life kind of building up this chaotic strength inside her. And that's yeah. just, it's very cool and satisfying to see that fiery blast is like, you know, she's displaying a lot of power, like magically and a lot of like, you know, willpower, yeah, which is just I, so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's raw chaos energy. And I think that the reason she can do it, and it's something to say it is basically hinting at, is that she can do that because she's part elven and she has this innate connection to chaos. Mm. And I think she is more adept at manipulating chaos and holding that raw energy inside of her because she's part elven. Now, if she could only, uh, you know, repair her relationship with Geralt, then she'd be yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll have more seasons to, uh, to mend those wounds. I just want to say that the uh, power that she's unleashing, like you're saying, Jack, is in defense of all the people that she realizes that she care actually does care about. Mm -hmm. And I think that fighting for something is partly what makes her more powerful rather than fighting against something else. Mm -hmm. Purpose. Well, well, that goes back to a question I wanted to ask you guys, because there's this line that Tesea says about, you know, leaving the bottle behind or forgetting about the bottle in reference to the bottled lightning that, right. that um, Yen was trying to catch lightning in and then tried to turn that back on Tesea in the episode where we meet Yen for the first time. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Episode two. But it implies that she's been holding back. Right. That implies that like she's had a container around herself where she hasn't let her power flow. But yeah. is that consistent? Now, I, I I understand that, you know, you guys are saying she is more powerful because she sees her connection to others. But she, up to this point, she's been super arrogant and super like, oh, I've just got all this power. I'm so strong. Like, does it make sense that she would be emotionally holding back without community? Because mm. we've seen her like possess a room full of people she isn't holding back necessarily that like the way to say is describing it she isn't trying she knows that there's more inside of her but she's not applying herself to anything i see because she's not doesn't care enough so she needs a focus yeah so imagine how big she could have made that guy's boner in the magical <laughs> shop yeah. if she had just unleashed her power that's a great point. Yeah, it could be more than just Viagra. It could also be like, uh, you know, size increasing spells. Oh, God. <laughs> in large self or in large All other. 100% of the blood in his body goes to Jesus. <laughs> he just dies instantly. <laughs> I've, I've always advised that if your bark skin lasts for more than six hours, you should consult your druid. So. <laughs> mm hmm. 
Now, so we've been talking a lot about Yen, and that actually dovetails nicely into a kind of a overarching theme of this episode and probably the series as a whole, and that is the price that you pay for power. And right. in, this, in this case, like the price of magic, because in this episode, we also see these Nilfgaardian mages literally sacrificing their lives to create fireballs for Fringilla to launch into Sodden and attack the Brotherhood. With. And just to test the defenses that the other mages have. Yeah, so I mean, we see that this hold that Nilfgaard has on people is, they've been described as fanatics, right? They're they're like a religious fervor that people have for living for Nilfgaard. But like the mage who we see give her life for this kind of is like, uh, like, do I have to? You can see she doesn't want to do it, but like- And Frangilla's just fucking cold, man. She's like, yeah, fucking- Kill yourself and become a fireball for me. And she doesn't, Frangilla doesn't care at all about the cost of these lives. And I guess this woman is just so brainwashed. She just decides to still go along with it. And that's what. Or terrified of the consequences. Yeah. And I maybe, mean, maybe the suffering that she would <laughs> endure would be far worse than draining oneself of life to create a fireball. Maybe that's what she was considering in the moment before her death, because you see her kind of internally struggling with this decision to kill herself for Frangilla. I kind of really would have liked, you know, the hesitant mages, like, not sure if they want to turn themselves into fireballs. And then, like, standing at the back of the line is one mage that's just like, come on, let's hurry it up. I want to yeet me. Yeet me! <laughs> yeah. Mad Max he, style. Su- super dedicated to the culty cause. Yeah, like like in fucking Borderlands 3, the children of the vault. Yeah. Vault? Vault. 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 Yes. Would have been pretty good, like, pushing the person in line. Hurry <laughs> up! Trying to cut. Yeah. Um. No, but yeah, so you wait that- your turn. So that theme of the cost that we pay for having power, that having power has, magic or otherwise, well, runs throughout the whole Yeah, field. military yeah. or magical might. And, I mean, the cost is death, as we've been talking about. Yeah. For the common man or mages alike, it kind of spans different levels of society. I mean, nobles are killed on the side of the road. It's It's... Everybody has to pay this cost. Hey, you know who doesn't have to um, turn themselves into a fireball? The king. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And the head mage. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Fringilla's not like, all right, I want to, like, turn myself into a fireball and you can launch me. Like, no, she's, I'm in control now. Once you get that taste of power, you become callous and you become uncaring towards others. And that is, I think, where the... Mages Brotherhood, at least the 22 mages who decide to stand against Fringilla and the Nilfgaardian mages kind of have it different, right? They're powerful, but they are also willing to sacrifice in a different way, and they're willing to sacrifice themselves. Fringilla doesn't show up until it's all done, basically, and she knows that she's going to be safe. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I have another interesting thought. 
I know I joke a lot about push the eel in the water with the rake. Right? Yeah. And the whole philosophy they used in the show early on, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die, right? Yeah. Fringilla is sort of applying that same philosophy from the earlier episodes. That's like, hey, mage, turn yourself into a fireball for a, the greater cause. And they're doing it, right? I suppose I could see why she might think the mages of the Brotherhood were being hypocritical to a degree. Sure. Absolutely. She's and like, what are you, I'm doing what you taught me. Yeah. I learned it from you, mom. <laughs> and the Brotherhood partly doesn't like what she's doing because uh, she started this whole Nilfgaardian tradition of training mages internally and not sending them to the Brotherhood to be trained. So she started her own, like, basically necromantic offshoot school that is not affiliated with their mages' college. Right. And they don't like it because they can't c have any control over it. So she kind of calls them out for that. I think in the last episode, not this one. Yeah, the pre in episode seven. At the council where, where meeting. Yeah, exactly. Where they decide, where the mages vote on whether or not to participate. And... I mean, actually, that's why there's only 22, right? Because yeah. those are the ones who decided to stand against Nilfgaard. But the rest of Eratusa and the Brotherhood don't partake in this war. Yeah. They decide to keep themselves sequestered away and not to risk their own power. Right. But um, another cost of war are all the refugees, all the displaced people whose homes have been ransacked. I mean, they were able to get away with their lives. And then they decided to make a stand at Sodden Hill. There are a lot of normal people, non-magical folk, fighting with the mages at Sodden Hill. And they decided, you know what, I'm not going to just keep running and hoping to avoid the Nilfgaardian army. I'm going to make a stand. I mean... Well, maybe they thought it was their best bet. Yeah. They there got were... mages. They had 22 mages. They figured, oh, it's the worst that can happen. I guess we die. Oh, wait. There were men, women, and children there. Right. The children are helping the war effort, too, and get earwormed by yeah. Fringilla's uh, evil box. Yep. <laughs> she does have an evil box. It's full of worms. Ooh. Earworms. Betrayal worms. Just these fucking pop songs that get stuck in your head and you can't do anything until you blow up the alchemist table uh, that's defending you <laughs> to make it stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cost of power for magic, you can see that it kind of ruins people's lives and it can create massive destruction. I mean, Yennefer basically destroys part of the forest in her explosion and I mean, it makes the monsters worse, too. All of the refugees that were slaughtered at the beginning of this episode. Um, In the spooky forest. Yeah, when Yurga is saving, trying to, you know, give them a proper burial, at least to give them some respect and honor them, honor their sacrifice. That's when the ghouls come out. The ghouls are attracted to that. It makes the whole landscape more dangerous because there are monsters in this setting. Yeah, that's a great point that, you know, the cost of war kind of is this out-of-control snowball, right? That, you know, as more people die, more monsters are going to show up. They're going to probably encroach closer on 
settlements yeah. and, and harry more people. But you know what? Keeps the witchers in business. But there's a problem because you can't train any more witchers. You can't create any more witchers. The, the mutations that create witchers have been lost to Caramoran and the other witcher strongholds. Because it was ransacked at some point. So things are going to get awful nasty, I think, in the near future for uh, this setting. Yeah. But, I mean, we do see people banding together, and this feeling of camaraderie is also a pretty big theme in this episode. Like we were talking about with Yen and the mages, but also with just people, regular people. Yurga's wife, Zola, takes Siri in and says, you know, these are terrible times we need to band together we need to stick together and help each other so people will fight back against adversity like war and we see that in other episodes too the refugees help each other true but who's gonna fight the kikimoras and the striga and the <laughs> ghouls and yeah so the humans do band together and try to help each other to some extent you mean that disgusting monster from the first episode? Renfrey? <laughs> oh, God. A dangerous mutant. Who cannot be affected by magic. Of course a mage would be uh, threatened by that. Are you yes. implying that Stregobor might be something of a asshole? <laughs> yeah. Patriarchal <laughs> asshole. Yeah. We're still reviewing the first episode. <laughs> That's the secret. We've been reviewing episode one this whole time. Uh, There's also a lot about forbidden magic, and that's part of the destructive aspect of it. And the forbidden magic, it has to do with necromancy. Oh, I thought love was the forbidden magic. <laughs> and controlling, having control over life and death, and having no rules in magic like Fringilla wants, means that she, the ends justify the means, in her opinion, and she has no, basically no regulations on what she can and can't do with her power. And um, we have the barest minimum of regulations on corporations, IRL, and I, I wouldn't want to live in a world where all of those are abolished. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the majors in this show do represent corporations. We've kind of touched on that before, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes it's, sense. It's those They're in un, power. Unchecked, you know? well, the, yeah, the, the people in power give the mages unchecked authority to uh, work without regulation or restriction to make their own uh, you know, rules and laws that they're going to follow. And, and they have voting rights. Yeah, the they, corporations and the wizards both get to act as individuals. Yeah, I mean, they regulate themselves. They stand outside of the authority of all the kingdoms. Imagine if the if all the billionaires in the world were in some big trust council. And they're like, ah, oh, it appears, uh, let's say Poland, because we're talking about the Witcher. Poland uh, has a new elected uh, official. Let's send them a court CEO. <laughs> Bezos, <laughs> you are going to be counselor to the new... Let's not give these fuckers any more ideas. Yeah, but that's what the mages do. They're like, ah, this new king is in power. Send him a new court mage. Billionaires doing the same thing. It's like, ah, which company? Verizon. Yeah, where it's like, welcome to Mexico, sponsored by Verizon. <laughs> oh, God. 
I mean, we're practically almost there at this yeah. point. So. <laughs> the Ferengi true. will become us. We will become them. So I want to um, just touch on a few more things that happened near the end of the episode. Just kind of maybe dig a little bit into them, what they might mean for the future season. A little bit of prediction since we are out of episodes and we are getting ready to go into season two. That'll be coming in the near future. Yeah. So a few important things happen. Full test army does show up at Sodden, but it's after kind of the battle has been won. He comes question at, mark. He comes at the dawn of the second day, like Gandalf. Yeah, but like a useless Gandalf. <laughs> he comes with a cavalry and infantry I mean, Nilfgaard is still there. They aren't totally defeated. No, they're maybe routed. I'm not sure. It's unclear. It's left open-ended. Um, They almost end in media res in a way. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they definitely end like most season cliffhangers since the yeah. beginning of television time, making you need to know what's going to come next, but have to wait two years for it to... Well, no, normally we'd have to wait two years, but with the, you know, uh, something happened last year that made things uh, oh, more yeah, difficult, yeah, I think, if yeah. I remember. Uh, <laughs> I have, we have collective amnesia about it, though. Yeah, um, I don't know. But, um, yeah, we're left, like, they survived the first night, day and night of the battle. Nights, like Geralt wanted to be a knight. <laughs> yeah. But, um... Sir. You know, it's unclear if the battle's actually over. The siege of Sodden Hill is actually over. So Faltes coming in could be the reinforcements they direly needed. That's fair. Yeah, because we are left. It's kind of open-ended. But another thing that happens at the end of the episode, or at the after the battle, is Vilgefortz beats another mage's head in. Who's at begging him for help. Yeah, so it seems like this is one of his... Friend mages, why do we think Vilgefortz has been changed so much by his confrontation with Kahir? Well, he was hit over the head with a rock That'll do as it. he was falling down, and maybe it changed his personality. <laughs> he, he was so badly brain damaged. Or is it possible oh, that Kahir has swayed him some way? Ooh, like a culty infection? I mean, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about the... Was it the brain worms? <laughs> it could be the brain worms. Yeah, it's just entirely possible. Maybe um, it's an ability the... of the white flame. Yeah, I'm wondering mm. if it has something to do with the white flame. Kahir's, like, enticing charisma, I guess. Yeah, I, should, I don't feel it. We but... should talk about their fight, because there was a confusing moment. Okay, yeah, let's get into it. Well, so he... Vilgefortz... We get to see his fighting prowess when he faces so off against cool. Kahir. And he's using, he's like an Eldritch Knight, Jack said. Yeah, because he can teleport his chosen weapon to his back to its sheath. It yeah. can draw it again. Yeah, and he has. He also is very acrobatic in the way he fights with all these flips and this twists. This is a great fight scene. I, I, yeah. I wish it was longer, personally. It's but. a very exciting fight scene. And he does lose his weapon, but he's able, yeah, like Jack said, to teleport it back to its sheath. But then there's Until a moment. the end, uh, when he's, like, exhausted. When Kahir notices that's how he's fighting, he kind of smirks, like he's got the one up on him. And then Vilgefortz 
goes to get it again after he's lost it, but it's not in the hilt. And I was really unclear about what happened. Did Kahir make that happen somehow? I was like trying to watch well, really closely. He stabbed him and and Vilgefortz is bleeding and, and injured. So I think that maybe he's just like kind of running out of life force to cast with. Oh, maybe. He runs out of chaos. Yeah, Tissa is trying to be like, Preserve your chaos. Don't cast so many spells. You're in a sword fight. Save those spell slots. Okay. Yeah. And then he's like, uh oh, I can't bring my sword back. And Kahir's just like, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, like, eats him down the hill. Okay. Yeah. I guess it was just like, yeah, like his life force being drained away. Maybe. I mean, there could Out be something else going on, though, because yeah. his final act in this season of killing one of his compatriots is very strange. It seems it very uncharacteristic for somebody who was willing to give their life to, you know, like battle Nilfgaard and to protect the lands. Yeah. I really love Chelsea's theory about him just fucking hitting his head a little bit and being <laughs> a completely different person. <laughs> you pull like a Robin where you, the like fuck Batman. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I always hated the Brotherhood. Wait, no. You're part of the Brotherhood. I want to kill him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it'll be interesting to see what yeah. comes of that. Yes. I want to know if Yennefer exploded or not. <laughs> I mean, maybe she just used up every last, like, biomass of her body to cast her immolation spell. Oh, so you think it was like those mages that turned to dust to become a fireball? I mean, no, I, I'm sure Yennefer's going to be back. She's an important character in the series. But... Yeah. Yes. We watch. We watched the like little behind the scenes thing, and the uh, showrunner's like, maybe ends God's like, yeah, come on, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you don't get to do that. We all know she's gonna be back. Yeah, <laughs> her and her and Geralt have to raise Siri. I know they have to be a family at Kaer Morin. I mean, maybe not at Kaer Morin, but somewhere along the line. They're going back there. Geralt and Ciri are. I don't know if Yennefer's going to meet them there or not. Maybe. It could happen. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is the, the culmination of Yen's, you know, um, I want to raise a child arc is going to be co-parenting Ciri with Geralt. I mean, right? that's I what... Mean, that's I've, the build-up. Yeah, that's what I've been assuming this whole time. I mean... I mean, we know it's not in this episode, I mean, this season, but I've been assuming it's going to be in the next season. They're laying the groundwork for it. I mean, I am thinking there's going to be a time jump of maybe even a, a couple of years. You never know. I could see it. Yeah. I mean, we this show is all about time jumps and, and kind of unknown or like kind of timelines you have to piece together. That's true. Get this. A two year jump. I can't even understand how that could possibly look. <laughs> no, and wouldn't that be crazy if they made it so that some of the actors, let's just say, for example, Siri, looked two years older? How would they do? I mean, I know that they have some advanced CGI technology, like how they made um, 
like Princess Leia look in Rogue One, but do you think you could advance somebody two years in the future? We all know that actors are preserved in amber, just like <laughs> the characters they play. I mean, that it's would explain true. Tom Cruise. Yeah. And Paul Rudd. Yeah. And Maybe, the, uh, the woman that plays uh, on Buffy, Anya. Yeah, you What's know, I actually... Uh, Emma Caulfield. I, uh, yeah. I actually saw a rumor written on an Arby's napkin under the toilet seat of a Taco Bell restroom that said Siri is going to be CGI in the second season, played by Andy Serkis. Oh, man. He's so versatile. He's so good. He's just so talented. I don't know if it's true or not, but... And when, when she has her first kiss, it's a really touching... Scene between Andy and and uh, also Dara, Andy. who comes back, but played by Andy CGI. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's also how they filmed the parrot trap with Lindsay Lohan. Both of Lindsay Lohan's were just Andy Circus. <laughs> I would watch that actually. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, since this is the last episode of the season. I thought maybe we would just share some of our overarching thoughts about The Witcher Season 1. I just want to say I really like this series so far as a whole. I think they try to go really deep with their themes. And I think they succeed. I like this overarching theme besides destiny which is not it's usually not very interesting just because it's kind of cliche in fantasy but they bring something new to it which i think is really interesting and perhaps that has to do with like polish myth that i'm not familiar with or maybe it's just good writing yeah and also this overarching theme of who is the true monster. It's and, man. Man is <laughs> the real monster. the way that different characters kind of wrestle with this idea and question is really interesting to me. And so I appreciate how they give a lot of depth to the characters and the themes that they cover. My overarching thoughts about the series. I suppose it's just so unique in the situations they write about. It's good writing. It feels just so original in a lot of the things it does. Like pushing the eels into the water with the rake. I'm never forgetting that. (laughs) I think that was your favorite moment of the entire season. I just think about it every, every, always. It's just always on my mind. Put the eels in the water. Use the rake. (laughs) It's just so good. What the fuck? It's just every aspect of it. It's as good as one plus two makes three. Use the rake (laughs) on the eels. Push them in the water. (laughs) What the fuck? Anyway, that alone, I recommend the entire show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) on that point alone. On that point alone, but the characters are all so interesting. I especially love Geralt. Geralt yeah. is just 
just such an interesting, complex character. What can I say? What can I say? He's really good. I'm really quite pleased that <laughs> Henry Cavill <laughs> forced his way into the role. A lot of times I might find something like that, like, overbearing or irritating. But he is just, like, the, the passion he clearly brings yeah. to the series is infectious. I agree. And, I mean, I love seeing the pictures of him Palling around. the game. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but palling around, that's good, too. Yeah. But playing the game with the headset on and everything, like he's streaming mm. it. It's like he's a hardcore gamer for The Witcher. It's true. And I really love it. I guess I gotta say, everything, all the dialogue is very intentional. They have just such good relationships between the characters that are really gripping. Like, you want to know how, you know, the relationship is going to be repaired with Jaskier. You want to know, oh, how are they going to meet up again later? The cliffhangers really deliver because you care about what's going on. Yeah. It's, yeah. I Like, I couldn't recommend it enough. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I agree. They, They do complex storytelling well, it, you know, can be like on your first watch through a little disorienting to have so many time jumps, but you can really start to piece everything together. It makes a lot of sense. By the time you get to the end, it makes a lot of sense. And then it really rewards a second watch through. I was just thinking that when you know the timeline and like the second watch through works within the weird chronology of the show, too, where like it is this kind of cyclical thing where you can start piecing together where things place within the timeline and everything. And you get more out of the meaning behind everything. And, you know, I think season two, you know, could effectively, like, jump back still. There's still gaps in the season one timeline that they can go back to that could be interesting, that could fill in more information, that will still feel relevant and, like, illuminating. Yeah. It's true. Another thing is, yeah, I feel kind of bad for Foltest because the second he was on screen, I'm like, oh, it's that guy who had sex with his sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really affects your perception. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I wonder how his daughter, the streak, is doing. I know. I'll hopefully better. <laughs> yeah. If, if it's like the games, she, she goes to a nunnery to kind of like... Learn how to be a human. <laughs> but what if she got she, a taste for blood when she bit Geralt? And you yeah. know, that's kind of fitting because, yeah, the next show we're going to be covering is are about nuns. It's about nuns. Oh, Chelsea, Hype. giving the, the little bit of a teaser for our next uh, satire TV series. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. picked by our patrons last month. And so we're yes. going to be covering Warrior Nun next. That's right. Yes. Well, then, we'd like to thank you all for listening this week and for joining us as we wrapped up our coverage of The Witcher Season 1. We hope you enjoyed this series as much as we enjoyed making it, because getting to rewatch the episodes was a blast. Getting to talk about it with you two and with Casey, yeah. who joined us for a few of these episodes, was awesome. I agree. That was a lot of fun. I loved hearing all of your guys' insights and, like, having you guys help fill in the weird blanks from such a complicated show. It's true. I've learned so much more about the storyline and I feel like I appreciate it a lot more. Which is saying something because we really liked it on the first watch through too. Yeah. 
But hey, if uh, you want to know more about Swords and Satire and keep up with what we're watching every week and see some memes that we make for the different movies and shows we watch, why don't you consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Twitter and Instagram or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. And if you have a few coins to throw to your faithful satirists, you could go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become one of our patrons today, even just for a few bucks, a few coins every month. You'll get tons of bonus content exclusive to our patrons, like outtakes episodes or our rewriting history episodes. And we put up a poll every month where you would get to vote on the movies that we watch. Which is how we selected Warrior Nun for our second satire TV series. That's right. Exactly. And if you don't have enough coins to toss to your favorite podcasters, hold a council of your most trusted peers and go on an expedition through the many episodes and movies we've explored on this podcast. Watch along with the movies we've watched and then listen to the episodes. Hey, send us your own thoughts on our social media. That's right. Well, guys, until next time. Hail Crumb! And Geralt. Oh, yeah.